Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Church. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. Thank you for everybody who came to our Easter service last weekend, who took part, who helped serve, who brought friends and family. We had a great gathering out in the parking lot and uh, had a great celebration of the resurrection of our Lord. Today, uh, we're going to dive into a new series called We Are Strong, because as we reemerge to public life uh, together this year, the Christian church has an opportunity to show the world that we are strong. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that you made us to be strong, that you made us to live in you, and I pray that your spirit would dwell in us fully, that it would strengthen us, that it would chase away fears and anxieties and anger, and instead surround us with peace. Put your peace over us like a sentry on a wall guarding a city. Protect us, and may our gentleness be known to everyone. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. When I was a kid, there was a cartoon on television that we liked to watch called The Bugs Bunny Show. This was before Power Rangers. This was way before Captain Planet. And don't even talk to me about Gravity Falls. You don't know what cartooning is. We had the Bugs Bunny show. It was two-dimensional. It was grainy. It was repetitive. And we liked it that way because that's all we had. Uh, Bugs Bunny had uh, several different characters on it. And there was one character uh, that appeared regularly uh, whose name was Yosemite Sam. And Yosemite Sam was an Old West character. I can't remember if he was a sheriff or an outlaw, but he was a tiny little guy with a long mustache and a short temper. And when he would get mad, he would do this little thing that um, it was sort of meant to parallel uh, uh, cussing, but it was a children's cartoon, so you couldn't, uh, you know, say any actual bad words on a children's cartoon, unlike, you know, today's children's cartoons. Uh, back then, he would, when he would get really mad, when he'd get really upset, he'd let loose with a string of words that were actually kind of nonsense, kind of garbled nonsense, but they were meant to imply he was saying things that you weren't supposed to say. He'd say things like, ooh, and he'd stomp around too. He'd go, ooh, dirty perka shartin back of flatten filibuster barton perka luma dirtin. And he'd kind of stomp around the room and do that for a while. And so that's how we, as kids, first learned about cussing, unlike kids today who are learning actual cussing from the television. Uh, and, uh, and that was Yosemite Sam. He'd, he'd just blow his top, and he'd let loose with all this stuff, uh, and that's, uh, that's who he was. If 2021, or if 2020 had a mascot, it would be Yosemite Sam. And if there were a word of the year for this last year, it would be Dirty perka shark uh, back a flatten Philip Bucka Barton perka luma dirtin. That would be the word of the year. Because we're tired. We're exhausted. 
The last year has been filled with heartbreak and anxiety, with financial stress and job loss, with, uh, with anger and with frustration. Uh, it's, it's all very understandable. And we're all kind of in the same place on that. And to be honest with you, I was always kind of mystified at the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. When he said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? He says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And I hear that and I say, yeah, but look at the world, Jesus. There are people being slaughtered in Mozambique. There are people being mowed down in Burma. Child abuse has skyrocketed around the world this last year. How on earth could anyone say, do not worry? How would I not worry? And honestly, worry is a natural human emotion. It's good that we have some level of worry, because if I'm, if I'm walking across the field and I see a beautiful apple tree filled with apples over here, and over here I see a, a man-eating lion waiting to kill me, it's probably good that I worry. It's probably good that I focus on the thing that could tear me apart. Worry is actually a good thing designed by God. So how on earth do you tell me not to worry? Well, the good news is, the Bible teaches us not just that we shouldn't have obsessive, overwhelming worry that distracts us from living life, which is the kind of worry Jesus is after there. The Bible also tells us how to avoid worry. The Bible gives us practical ways to avoid worry, and this isn't just fluffy self-help. The best of modern science, the, the sociological research and psychological research that is being done has created a wealth of information that shows us what's best for our, our minds and our, our psyches and, and shows us how best to handle the anxieties of the world. And, and it's simply going to, it's simply uh, reinforcing what the Bible taught 2,000 years ago. The basic principles laid out in the Bible are things that modern science is now supporting and defending. So we're going to begin a new series uh, here uh, at Real Life, a five-week series called We Are Strong. And we're going to look at biblical principles to healthy, happy, and strong living to help us overcome some of the, the anxieties and challenges of the modern world. We are strong. And as the world reemerges to public life, there's no reason that we as Christians have to hobble our way back into public life. We know the God who created the universe. We know the God who walks beside us every day. We know the God who, in the end, will be our judge and our deliverer. We are strong, and we have every reason to be confident in the God who made us. So over the next five weeks, I want to look at five biblical principles to healthy, happy, and strong living. Wouldn't we all rather be healthy, happy, and strong than angry and anxious? Here's the first one. This is in Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. Uh, open up in your Bibles. Uh, uh, it's good to follow along in your own text so that you, you, get, you get in the habit of studying the Scriptures. You can highlight as you go. Uh, and, uh, and there's a verse in here I want you to remember this week. Philippians chapter 4 at verse 4, listen to the word of God. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, Paul was obviously listening to Pharrell Williams as he was writing his letter to the Philippians, or Bobby McFerrin. Um, this is the first biblical principle to living a strong, healthy, and happy life, the kind of life that Jesus wants to us. Paul says, pay attention to your attention. Pay attention to what you are paying attention to. Focus on the things that will bless your life. Focus on the things of God. Uh, this, is actually, this is actually very astute psychologically. 2,000 years ago, before any of modern psychology exist, existed, this is actually very astute because here's how your mind works. Here's how your mind and my mind work. We have all kinds of ideas and memories and impulses floating around in our minds right now. Uh, and to a certain extent, you and I are in control of those most of the time. But other things can control what's, uh, what's going on up there. Uh, so for instance, you have um, thoughts and ideas in your mind that you're carrying around right now that you're not actually focused on, but they're still there. So if I say, think of an elephant, uh, picture an elephant. Maybe you've seen one at the zoo, you've certainly seen pictures of them. Picture an elephant with its trunk, its tusks, its four legs. Uh, picture it walking around, doing whatever elephants do, eating a peanut, whatever, right? You can picture that. Well, I just gathered your attention and I focused it on something that you already had in your mind. A minute ago, you most likely were not picturing an elephant, but now you are. See, the way our minds work is we have this, this cluttering of different memories and ideas floating around up there, like things in an attic, like an attic filled with, with all kinds of belongings. And every now and then, we walk up in the attic and we take a flashlight and we point it at something. I just pointed your flashlight at an elephant, a picture that you already had somewhere stored in your memory, but that you weren't focusing on before. And I made you point your flashlight in the direction of that elephant, of that object. We do that all the time. We use our minds that way. We carry around a storehouse of information and impulses and recollections, uh, and, and we take that flashlight up there in that attic, and we point it at the things that we need when we need them. This is just how we're made. By and large, you and I are mostly in control of that flashlight. We're mostly in control of what we pay attention to. You can focus on the things that you need to focus on when you need to focus on them. But sometimes things distract us. Sometimes things grab our attention and they pull our focus. They pull our flashlight towards themselves. Uh, you might be walking along at the beach with your spouse or with your boat. And you're enjoying the day and you're paying attention to your uh, significant other, and then somebody walks by and your flashlight just follows them as they go by. And then you have the right and responsibility to point your flashlight back where it belongs. 
because if you don't, the person you're with will. If you let your flashlight wander, the person you're, you're walking along with will be like, oh, dirty perka shard up back a flatten Philip Bunka Barton perka luma dirtin, right? So you have to take control of your flashlight. That's part of morality. It's part of health. You take control of your flashlight and you focus it on the things that matter. Now, all kinds of people out there know that you have a flashlight and an attic full of stuff. And they're going to try to grab your flashlight and focus your attention on the things that they want you to pay attention to. It's called marketing. And the whole world is awash in it. The news media knows that you have a flashlight that focuses on certain things, and it knows what you like to focus on. The news media out there will intentionally grab your attention and pull it towards what they want you to pay attention to, because they get paid when you click on their news. When you click on a news article, the, the news service that has posted it gets ad revenue from the ads that appear on the things that you click on. So they will put up things that you are most likely to click on so that they get paid. And, and the things that you and I are most likely to click on are affected by uh, a psychological dysfunction called a negativity bias. You and I are more inclined to pay attention to negative things than positive things. It's just how we're made. Evolutionary psychologists will say it comes from well, you know, you're walking across a field, you see a delicious apple tree over here, you see a man-eating lion over there. It's better to pay attention to the lion, because the lion can bring an end to things. So it's better to pay attention to the negative things, to the threats, to the dangers first. And we are just inclined to do that. We have a negativity bias. We tend to pay attention to negative things more often than we pay attention to positive things. And news media outlets know that. They know you're more likely to click on bad news than good news. And so guess what they put up for you to see every day? They put up bad news so that you'll click on it, and then they get paid. And that creates sort of this vicious cycle of our negativity bias drawing us to negative news and news outlets getting paid for posting the things that we pay attention to, which is negative news. And that creates this spiral of anxiety that fills our daily lives. We are awash in bad news, and we are drawn to bad news, and the bad news just drags us down. The Bible has a remedy to this mess. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy. Think on these things. Grab hold of the flashlight in your mind and focus on the things of God. Resist the impulse to let your flashlight go where it wants to. The Holy Spirit has broken our enslavement to sin and set us free to focus on the things of God. And it will make you such a happy and healthy person when you practice this spiritual discipline. This is something that, uh, that modern science is now exploring like it never has before. And it's not, it's not fluffy self-help. Uh, some of the, the best researchers in the world at the top-tier universities are beginning to research well-being, which is a, a top-tier word for happiness. Some of the best universities in the world are starting to teach classes on happiness. Harvard has a class on happiness, and it's one of the most popular classes Harvard offers. 
Yale has a class on happiness taught by Lori Santos, and it's one of the most popular classes Yale offers because these driven, stressed out, sleepless Ivy League kids are concerned that they're not happy. They've poured all this work into getting where they wanted to go, and they're as, as uh, 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 little happy as they've ever been in their lives. And so thoughtful uh, research in the social sciences is looking at human happiness and where it comes from. There's a researcher at Harvard right now named Daniel Gilbert, uh, and I just read his book, Stumbling on Happiness. And, uh, and he and other researchers are focusing on the, the inclination of our minds to go chasing after things that won't actually make us happy and what kind of disciplines we can put in our lives in order to turn us back towards that which is healthier for us. And wouldn't you know it, they're saying things that sound an awful lot like the scriptures. They're saying that our, our happiness is, is affected by an inclination to seek out things that are positive instead of things that are negative. And as Paul says here in verse 5, I think it is, verse 6, and thankfulness. Thankfulness determines how happy we are. You would think that if uh, you're happy, then, you're be, then you'll be thankful. Modern research is saying the opposite, that if you're thankful, then you're more likely to be happy. Focus on the things for which you are thankful, and that will put your heart in a better place. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right or pure, lovely, admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, focus on those things. This is what God has made us for. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come to give you abundant life, life to the full. I have come to give you wonderful life. And part of pursuing the life that Jesus made for us means taking a hold of that flashlight in our minds and focusing on the things of God, the things that are healthy for us, the things that make us strong. You know, I often have wondered what Jesus was doing in those many, many times when he would go off on his own to pray in private. It says that he often went off to pray alone. Now, bear in mind, there are crowds seeking him out. There are sick people who need to be healed. There is truth that can be taught that will change people's lives. And Jesus is leaving the crowds to go be alone and to pray. I have the feeling that in those times of prayer with God the Father, Jesus is focusing in on the kingdom of God and the vision for what God wants to do in the world so that he might live out of that vision for God's coming kingdom. The kingdom of God is Jesus' favorite topic. He talks about it more than anything else, and I suspect it's because that is what absorbed his prayer life. Jesus is a, a veritable factory of kingdom metaphors. He, he says this all the time. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field, a guy finds it and it's worth everything so he sells everything he has to have it that's how good this treasure is the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and it grows up into be one of the biggest plants and it provides homes for all the birds the kingdom of heaven is like a party thrown by a king and it's an amazing banquet and you should want to get to that banquet jesus was obsessed with the kingdom of god he talks about the kingdom 
more than he talks about love, more than he talks about money, more than he talks about sin. Jesus is focused on the kingdom of God. And I wonder if in those times of prayer when he was off alone, if he wasn't focused on the kingdom that God wants to bring to this earth, a kingdom of abundant life in which we live at peace, and God's peace stands like a sentry over our hearts. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it was in heaven, as it is in heaven. And I, and I think that was the, the obsession of his prayer life. This is why you and I have to keep the Sabbath day. Uh, the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. On it, don't do any work. And I think the reason we are taught to keep a Sabbath day is because we need one day out of seven to grab hold of that flashlight and focus our attention on the kingdom of God, to focus on Jesus and what Jesus wants to do in our lives. You've heard me say it before, most Americans have an overdeveloped sense of weekend and an underdeveloped sense of Sabbath. Right? We like to have two days off a week, but we're not necessarily using either one of them as a Sabbath day. There's a difference between a Sabbath and a weekend. On a weekend, your attention is everywhere. It's on the beach, it's on the football game, it's on your family, it's on playing, it's on taking a nap, it's on all kinds of things, and that's all fine and good. But the Sabbath day is a day in which we take responsibility for that flashlight in the attic of our minds and focus on Jesus, focus on our relationship with Jesus, and focus on the things of God. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, focus on those things. You and I need to keep the Sabbath day because it resets us to the lives that God means for us. It resets us to focusing on the things of God. Uh, Paul says, uh, think on these things and control your flashlight and God's peace will stand guard like a sentry over your heart. And the word he uses for sentry here literally is like a guard that would be stationed on a, a wall, like a wall around a city like Jerusalem, and would keep watch and protect the city. And he says, if, if, you, uh, if you focus on the things of God, uh, this is verse 7, uh, God's peace will guard your heart, literally stand like a sentry over your heart and your gentleness will be known to all. Uh, and this is why, this is why uh, it works this way. Um, there was a, a medical doctor uh, who died about 20 years ago named Alfred Tomatis. And uh, Tomatis uh, was a doctor who had a particular focus. He, he worked especially with opera singers because his dad was an opera singer and his grandfather was an opera singer. And Tomatis uh, began working on a problem that opera singers were having, that they could sing within a, a broad range, but sometimes within their broad range, there were certain notes that they could not sing, even though the notes were within a range that they could hit. And doctors were perplexed by why this was. And most doctors uh, at the time were treating this as a, as a vocal problem. And Tomatis was the first to treat it as a hearing problem. Uh, and he discovered what had happened is that these opera singers who could belt out these loud notes would sing at a certain note so loud that it would blow out their own ear's ability to hear that note. 
He realized it was a hearing problem because they could no longer hear the note that they had previously sung and at which they could no longer sing. And he began working on restoring their ability to hear that note. And, and the famous line from Tomatis was this. He said, the voice can only contain what the ear can hear. If your ear can't hear it, your voice can't repeat it. And that's what the Apostle Paul is working on. Focus on the things of God. Focus on whatever is true and noble and right and pure. And when you do, God's peace will stand like a sentry and protect your heart. And your gentleness will be known to all. They'll be known to all because when your ears can hear the things of God, your voice can contain them. Your voice can only contain what your ear can hear. And so we need the regular discipline of Sabbath keeping. We need the daily habit of turning our flashlight from the negativity of the world to the things of the kingdom so that God's peace will, be, will reign in our hearts and our gentleness will be known to all. So I want to I start you on a, a discipline this week. This is what we're going to do, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch for this. So we're all, we're all, all going to do this together and we can all see it. Um, there are going to be times this week where you're going about your daily life and we're returning to public life, which, as exciting as it is, is also stressful. And there are going to be times this week where you look at the world around you and you feel like saying, dirty perka sharta blacka flatten filibunka barton perka luma dirt. You're going to feel like letting out with one of those. At that moment, I want you to stop. And I want you to pray. And I want you to think on the things of the kingdom. And then I want you to post on social media an image of something that you're thankful for. Just interrupt your day, take a picture, find a Bible verse, post on social media something that you're thankful for. Hashtag RLLA so I can look for it. Let's break the control of negative things over our hearts and by the power of the Spirit focus on the things of God. It is the first step we will take to living healthy, happy, and strong lives. This is where we'll begin this week. The thing for which you and I are most thankful is the fact that the God of the universe came down on the earth and walked among us, Jesus of Nazareth. He did that to reveal himself to us so that we could be in relationship with him and see his kingdom coming. He wants you to live in the vision of his kingdom coming. And to break the control of sin over our lives, he went to the cross for us. He died for our sins so that we might no longer live in cycles of legalism and sin and brokenness. And instead, by faith, we can believe in him and be set free to the things of the kingdom and the things of the spirit. It's for that reason that today we celebrate a meal that he shared with his disciples at the end of his life. Before we do so together, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you know this life that you've experienced what we experience, that you know the temptation to worry and to turn towards negative things. 
But you, by the power of your spirit, have given us authority to take control over our own attention, to focus on you, and to focus on the things of your kingdom. This week, turn our, our attention in the direction of thankfulness. At the moments where we are most angry, break through and call attention to yourself. If there's anybody listening now who is overwhelmed with the negativity and sickness of this last year and wants to invite your kingdom in for the first time, we pray, Jesus, come into our hearts. We acknowledge you as Savior who died on the cross. We accept you as Lord who takes charge of our lives. We place our lives in your hands. Forgive us and make us new. Open up to us the reality of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.